Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You've got to pick up every stitch. You've got to pick up every stitch. Welcome, everybody, to a very special episode of Somewhere in the Skies, where we usually talk about UFOs, but it is that time of the season. You all should know this by now. We do a very special series every Halloween. This is our Somewhere in the Spooky Skies. And today we're going to be talking about something that we have never talked about on the show before, and that is witches and witchcraft. And I thought, who better than someone who is actually a practitioner of witchcraft, but so, so much more. She's involved with some incredible organizations. She does all types of magic, everything in between. So we're really going to dive into uncharted territories today. And I could not be more excited about that with our very special guest, Sarah Lyons. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me on, Ryan. This is awesome. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Again, this is something I am completely uh, foreign to. So forgive me if I'm getting super one-on-one on you here. Um, the only thing I know about witches is probably from Wicked, uh, to be honest, as okay. a theater nerd. So um, I think we have a lot to uh, expand on from Wicked. So yeah, yeah don't thank you. Sing. I'm not a good singer, so that won't be happening today. <laughs> I promise. I promise. Me either. Um, but yeah, we we sort of connected through a uh, mutual project we did, which was uh, Mystery Secoded, which we will get to for sure. I want to talk yeah. to you all about that experience. But um, origin story, comic book time. I have to ask, how how did this all come to be? You're probably sick of us answering this question, like many of us are. But yeah, how'd you get involved with witchcraft? When did this all start? And uh yeah, give us the origin story if you don't I mind. love I love giving my villain origin story. So yeah. Um, <laughs> um I uh so yeah, I mean I think like a lot of people like in the weird world, like we are, when people ask that question, it's like, well, I've never not been into this stuff, right? I've never there's never been a time in my life where I wasn't into magic or UFOs or Bigfoot or cryptids or like occultism, that witchcraft, anything like that. I've always been interested in it. So it's, um, I can't remember a time that I wasn't interested, but I remember when I was a kid, it was this kind of, um, you know, I would read all these stories about legends and folklore and, you know, the paranormal ghosts, that kind of thing. And I was like, man, I really wish that people still believed in this stuff. Like, I really wish that people still did this stuff. And for me, it was, um, I was really interested in mythology, like when I was a kid. And that always connected with me a lot more. I was, I've always been very spiritual, but that always connected with, to me a lot more than some of the spiritual practices that I was brought up being Catholic and that kind of thing. Um, especially like being a woman, it, there just felt like there was a kind of more of a foot in the door with those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So it was, um, 
yeah, I, I was like always just kind of sad that that never, that that wasn't a thing anymore. I didn't know why people weren't doing those sorts of things. And uh, then one day I remember I was coming home with my mom from like a grocery store or something. And we always had NPR on in the car. It was like the family that we had. It was a very NPR family. And there was an NPR story on Wicca. And these people were talking about being witches and practicing spells and doing all this stuff. And I was like, oh, my God, this pe- like, people do this. And I literally remember I ran upstairs to the computer and I just Googled everything that I could about Wicca and witchcraft. And it was like from there, you know, the, the, the rest is history, as they say. Um, I no longer consider myself Wiccan. I feel like Wicca was like my door, my foot in the door. Like with a lot of people, it was my it was my gateway drug to the rest yeah. of the world. Um, I, I kind of started there and then branched out, you know, from there. But uh, you know, growing up, I grew up in a really rural area in Massachusetts, like out at the end of Cape Cod, and um, it's very seasonally based. It's a very seasonally based economy. So things like the wheel of the year and the cycle of the seasons and like kind of living with natural rhythms weren't an abstract idea to me the way that I think they are to most people in kind of the Western world right now. So to me, the idea of, you know, uh, Samhain or Halloween being the end of the season and the, like the end of the year and then the dead kind of take over for the next few months until Beltane and then life comes back in. That's just how the economy out there works anyway, because October is really the very, very end of the tourist season. And then things just are dead. Like my town is a town of 2000 people. There's like three stoplights. It's very small. Uh, there's, you know, there's one grocery store that stays open all year and everything else closes. Uh, so, you know, and then all of a sudden in May, June, all the people come back and there's an economy again. And so that kind of stuff wasn't very abstract to me. Uh, so, and I think that that really helped me kind of get a foot in the door and a kind of, um, initial grasp of what all of this was kind of talking about and it's I've had to change my practice kind of you know considerably now living in a city for a few years and being in a totally different location and interacting with different spirits than I was when I was growing up but I think that that's part of why I like witchcraft and why I like magic and occultism and that kind of style of spirituality because it is very adaptable in its nature and it's very much you know uh, person, you know, you personalize it to your own experience and to what's going on in your life, and I, I've always really liked that. That's so cool. Yeah, I, 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 I guess I never really thought of it that way. Like your practices will sort of uh, are malleable in terms of your environment and everything, because this is, I guess, at the heart of it, a very um, uh, earth-based practice. It, it, it all comes from from the world around us and nature and everything. Again, something I never understood because all I ever knew about witches was this shit. <laughs> you know? Like you've got a crooked nose person on a broomstick and that we we're going to get to that because that's always been fascinated me. These archetypes that we've sort of, you know, adjusted throughout history uh, to sort of oppress the sort of things that you do. So um, I want to ask, um, what is what is like a typical day for you, Sarah, in terms of your rituals? Like for me, I wake up and immediately coffee pot on. Um, I start checking my emails, get sucked into these stupid phones that we have <laughs> and um, and whatever, you know, I start the day. But I would assume, you know, for someone who's really into something like this, practicing it, uh, what is a typical day look like for you as a witch uh, practitioner? Sure. Yeah. Um, so for me, the daily practices that I have that I do every single day 
are um, I try to meditate for 10 minutes every day. Sometimes if I sleep in, I don't, but I try to. Um, but I, yeah, so I, I usually do like 10 minutes of meditation every day uh, to start the day. I leave an offering of a glass of water on my ancestral altar every morning um, and just kind of like thank them and give it like a, a kind of moment there. And the, and every night uh, before I go to sleep, I always thank the earth, the ancestors, the spirits of place, the gods and animals that exist in the place that I'm at. Those are the things that I do every day. And then for me, I, um, I practice a, not, I'm not as hardcore as some people, but I do practice a little bit of astrological magic. So that depends on the day of the week. Uh, and for me personally, the way that I am kind of working through astrological magic right now is a process called astrological remediation. So that basically means kind of in the same way that if you would go to like a doctor and they say like, okay, you've got this like genetic you know, problem of some sort, uh, some sort of health issue. Here's a, here's a regimen that we're going to give you to, uh, you know, remedy that. This is the same thing, but for me, it's kind of problems in my birth chart and malefic planets and placements that I have in my birth chart that I'm using astrological magic to kind of work through. So for me right now, the days that I do practices on are uh, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. So that would be Sunday is sun, Monday is the moon, Tuesday is Mars. Um, and also Friday, like, so like right now, my, it, like Friday is a, a big day for me. Um, I'm going to turn the camera a little bit so that you can see, but I've got actually an altar going over here. Oh so, my gosh, that is so cool. <laughs> so um, this is my Babylon altar. Um, she's the goddess of love and war. It's very hardcore. Um, but this is, I kind of will like leave her offerings usually of roses, which you can also see behind me um, here. And yeah, I do that. Um, that's what I, those are my like weekly, daily, weekly practices, if you will. For each uh, planet and for each type of thing, because I'm trying to give it a different form of remediation, I'll, I'll typically do something different that matches that planet or something like that. So for me, I have a um, I have a really powerful sun placement because I have sun in Leo, which you also have. Uh, and yep. that's like where the yep. sun is happiest to be because the sun rules Leo. It's the only planet that uh, that's the only planet that the sun rules or the only sign that the sun rules. So it's the happiest place for the sun to be but it's opposite my Saturn, which is just, it sucks. So for me, like on Sunday, I'm trying to feed that and give that kind of ego a healthy place to go. Right. Uh, Same thing with like Venus. Like I have kind of like, it's like Saturn is also um, opposite my Venus and I'm trying to like remedy that in some way and like feed that. So those are the kind of other practices that I do. And then from there on, it's more based on what I need in the moment. Um, yeah, like if I need to do a spell for this or that, uh, that kind of just depends on when it comes up. Awesome. Well, okay. So, I mean, I mean, I, I as well grew up Catholic and everything, but like that was not my identity. I wasn't like a Catholic and that was my life. So I, I'd love to know um, if you're willing to share as personal or not um, as you'd like to get what what do you do other than when you're practicing witchcraft? You live you live in New York City, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, cool. So yeah, cool. I mean, is there, I yeah. Like, yeah. Well, for me, it's um, it's weird because I'm not um, for me, my spirituality kind of bleeds through a lot of my life. So I'm not always mm-hmm. doing witchcraft, but magic and that kind of you know outlook on life. That kind of, for me, I consider myself an animist. So to me, that means being in kind of a living dialogue with the world around me and uh, kind of embracing 
the high strangeness of life, if you will. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, just kind of, yeah, like seeing, seeing life as a conversation, paying attention to signs and omens when they come your way, synchronicities, that kind of thing. And uh, so that doesn't stop. That's the thing that I continue to do throughout the day, throughout my life. But uh, in addition to that, I also am an activist. I'm an organizer with the Democratic Socialists of America. Uh, I specifically work with the Eco-Socialist Working Group here in New York City. I do see that as an extension of my spirituality because to me, it's like I can't, I can't claim to work with the earth and that, that kind of stuff and then not kind of defend the earth when I feel like it's under attack. So I do that. I, um, I am a writer. I have written a lot for Vice and Teen Vogue and kind of outlets like that. I have my own book that I published um, on witchcraft, which I'm sure we're going to get to later. But oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And um, then, you know, I'm just a 20 something gal in the big city trying to have it all. Right. Yep. <laughs> Me too. Me too. I'm just a big gal in New York myself. Yeah. yeah. Um, so for those who see this background image we have, this is from the cover of your book, which I absolutely adore. Um, it's such a cool cover, but it says so much in the symbology in there as well. So I want to cover that with you. Uh, mm -hmm. Revolutionary Witchcraft, a guide to magical activism. Um, I I just finished reading it. It was so good. I feel like I'm ready to get out there and really uh, get things going. And um, in, in many ways, in many ways. But uh, in the introduction, of course, you know, got to start with that. Witchcraft is the Earth's immune system kicking in in the last moment. What does this mean? So, yeah, this is something I actually think that we can dive into a lot here because um, a lot of people, typically a big thing that I get asked in interviews is, why is witchcraft so big now? Like, why is everyone getting into witchcraft? And, yeah. you know, I think that there's a, there's material answers that I can give. You know, I can, I can look at, um, you know, you can look at socioeconomic uh, reasons. You can look at cultural reasons. You can look at, um, there's a lot of historical things that we can dig up. And I think that those are all good pieces of the puzzle and those are all true. But for me, it's also, um, I, I'm, like as an animist and as someone who isn't like 100% a materialist in these things, I think that there is something to be said for the fact that we're in a liminal state in our, like globally in a liminal state. And uh, I, you know, kind of like with the trickster and the paranormal and that kind of stuff. I think that, you know, when obviously when you enter into a liminal state, weird shit starts to happen. So I think that people are becoming more interested in witchcraft and magic and astrology for the same reason that we're seeing all these UFOs all of a sudden, and we're getting disclosure about UFOs all of a sudden, and we're getting, you know, there's been a big uptick in people, you know, talking about stuff like Bigfoot and people talking about uh, cryptids and true crime and like all these weird, all this weird stuff is happening at the same time. And I think it's because we're kind of, we're leaving one part of world history behind and we're entering into another part. And mm -hmm the doorways are kind of open right now and all this weird shit is coming out. So on the witchy side of that, I think it's because we're in a very crucial time for, uh, you know, magic. We're in a very crucial time for the life of the earth. Um, we really don't have much longer to make significant changes in order to survive climate change. Uh, I, I mean, that's kind of a whole nother dark conversation to get into right there, but um, you know, witchcraft historically has always, you know, witch trials have always come about from 
the early modern period up until today, they always come about when there is a significant change to the land and to how people are regarding the land. And that usually ends up being a um, reflected in treatment of women, treatment of queer people, treatment of trans people, that kind of thing. So, um, so for instance, like the, the witchcraft trials, they were like the of, of the early modern period, which is like we can look at the Middle Ages, but things didn't really start popping off until the 1500s. And one of the big reasons I believe that is is because it was the first time in Europe that land became privatized. Before that, land was not a privatized thing. Um, and this was for the first time ever, land became something that you actually owned. It wasn't a thing you inherited through some sort of familial thing. It wasn't a land that you conquered or and were like, ser- you know, a serf to a prince or a duke or something like that. It was um, now you could own a piece of land. And that is like, we, we think of that as very obvious now, but that was a radical change in human history that had never been done before in human history. So once that happened, people were really mad about it. Peasants were really mad because all of a sudden now you have to make money all the time because you have to pay taxes and deeds and uh, make an income, like a consistent income to uh, a landlord, which we still have today. So you have to, yeah, you know, so. um, (laughs) Love them or hate them, yeah. Yeah, people were not happy about this. Uh, And people, there was a lot of peasant rebellions. A lot of these peasant rebellions were led by women because what this did was it immediately devalued uh, female labor specifically. Because when you think about it, if you like, not to say that this is like a time we should return to, right? I want to not be reactionary with this, but just to, to display how things got different. Um, if you're a peasant, and you have a farm, you have a homestead of some sort. If there's a division of labor in that farm, it's usually that like the males of the household are out cutting the wheat or, uh, you know, doing husbandry, like working with the animals. And the women in the household are taking that those products and turning them into bread and turning them into beer and turning them into clothes and that kind of stuff. And um, or just or just running the house, keeping things clean, cooking for the family, uh, you know, raising the children, that that kind of stuff that all gets completely demonetized. So the the raising of the kids, the cooking of the food, the cleaning of the house, all of a sudden that's not valuable anymore because that's not making money. It's the bread and it's the the grains and stuff that are making people money. So women, all of a sudden, whatever power they had in society, completely gone. And now it's like even more so you have to become a wife. You have to become married into a family of some sort because that's the only way that you make money, right? That's the only way that you can survive now. Um, there was even like doctor, like female doctors and stuff like that, that just got kicked out of being doctors because that was just no longer a thing anymore. So, um, and in that witchcraft all of a sudden becomes this hugely problematic thing because witchcraft was very much like folk magic and witchcraft, two different things, which we can get into in a second, but, um, it's, you know, it's a way to kind of how do I say this? It's a, it's a very, it was a very integral part of the community, like having a female doctor in the town, having a female, you know, spiritual guide who kind of knew like, like, uh, for instance, my, I have a friend whose uh, great grandmother was sort of a modern version of this in her village in Italy. And people didn't call her a witch, but what they said is that she knew how to say the prayers. Like she knew how to pray for people. And it's that kind of knowledge that was passed down for a long time. But when you, that is like that butts up against so much of what was economically happening in Europe about the privatization of the land, about the um, industrialization of the land, about um, the you know pillaging of 
resources from Africa and North America and South America, all this stuff happening at the same time. All of a sudden, what that does is it makes um, you like all of a sudden you can't have uh, certain days that you don't work because that's not profitable. All of a sudden you can't have uh, magic because magic is a weird thing that can't really be controlled by the state. If you can if you can make things happen on your own, well, that's a problem because we need you to make stuff for us. Um, and additionally, uh, you know, the, the labor force is made in the, you know, the female body or what was then codified as the female body. So women all of a sudden became baby making factories because that was where the next workforce was coming from. And it's not really a coincidence that there's, um, you know, a lot of the witchy, the, the witchy herbs and a lot of the herbs that women were put on trial for, for possessing or for using things like henbane or mugwort or um, belladonna. These are all abortive herbs. You know, there's there's magical purposes to them. But things like mugwort uh, are like a way to induce a natural abortion. And there's a lot of stuff going on there about, you know, that all of a sudden that really can't happen anymore because we need workers yeah. because someone's got to yeah. fill up these factories. Somebody has got to work the land uh, and we can't have people not having babies anymore. We need babies. Um, so that's a lot, but I think it's important to, to look at the history of witchcraft because this happens to this day. Like when, um, whenever capitalism expands into a new marketplace, if you look at things like in Indonesia, this happened uh, in the sixties, I believe. Uh, that when there was kind of a, a communist like revolution that happened there that was largely supported by the population. And there was a, a coup to kind of undo that. And one of the things that people said was that the communist women were witches that were that were dwelling in the forest. And they were stealing men's penises and they were doing all this malefic magic. And it's like, that's not true. But that happens every time this economic system expands because it needs that. It needs that function. It needs to... Uh, use witchcraft as kind of a way to get rid of people. And and also it's, I think on the other side, witchcraft comes up because it is the land fighting back. It is the land saying, no, you actually do have power and you should be using it right now because I'm about to get very harmed and that's going to harm you too. Mm. So interesting. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That yeah. is a lot to unpack, but no, yeah. I, I, but it, it makes sense. It, it seems that, you know, sort of the the archetype of the witch throughout history whether during the trials or or now in hollywood or pop culture it's to strip that agency from whatever movement the witch represents at that time and it that's that's it's incredible to see that because again my 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 understanding of all this comes from what we see in hollywood and and um and stuff like that. And it all seems to be a way to sort of stamp down what the, the movement and the practice actually represents. And um, that that's amazing. Well, in terms of that power, Sarah, um, that, that a practitioner can, can have and can harness um, you did mention in the book about embracing your ancestors and how important that is to becoming a practitioner of something like witchcraft or magic. And, uh, I never really thought of it that way. Again, I, I feel like this is something that you kind of just decide to do and you do it. But your ancestry plays a large role in that, too. Would you mind touching on that whole aspect of this? Yeah. So when I was writing the book, I was kind of trying to think back to when I was first getting into witchcraft and magic and what kind of book I wanted to read. And I think 
because I, you know, in writing this, I was like, okay, this is probably going to be a one-on-one book. Like this is going to be a, a book for people who maybe this is their first book on magic or first book on witchcraft. So I was trying to think back to when I was younger and I was looking for my first book on magic and witchcraft. And it, uh, when I was younger, what I thought I wanted was a book with a bunch of spells and demons and spooky stuff. Like I thought I wanted the key of Solomon. Right. And that would have been fun, but I wouldn't have known what the fuck to do with it. Can I swear on this podcast? Absolutely. Um, fuck um, away. Like, <laughs> I, I am like, I swear like a fucking sailor. Okay. Um, but yeah, I didn't know what to do with those things. So I, um, looking back, what I really needed was a compass and kind of just a compass to go through all these other books and all this stuff, a kind of a guide. So for me, um, I don't think that my book should be the last book on magic that people read, but if it's your first book on magic, just kind of look at it as a, a starter pack. This is your, this is your, uh, it's dangerous to go alone. Take this. Um, <laughs> you know, this is your starter Pokemon. Yeah. Um, so there's a, um, so for me, starting off with an ancestry practice is a really great way to start a magical practice because first of all, your ancestors are the spirits that are probably going to be the most, uh, probably the easiest to listen to you. Like they're probably already listening to listening to you. They're probably already around you. They probably already know who you are. Um, so you have the, the most buy-in with them out of any spirits because some spirits just like don't give a fuck. Like they don't care. Um, <laughs> And so you're like, I want to talk to Baphomet. And I'm like, well, Baphomet doesn't care about you. Like, you have to make Baphomet care about you. But you don't have to make your grandmother care about you, right? Um, <laughs> Good point, yeah. Right? So, um, yeah, so there's a uh, so there's the immediate buy-in. So, like, that's a good thing. Uh, they also have your back if you're engaging in spiritual work that is like, dangerous in some way. Uh, mm-hmm. They're there to help you out. They're there to guide you through dreams or through divination, that kind of thing. Um, and it's also, I think, very... Um, it's very needed right now because I think a lot of the problems that we're dealing with politically, magically, you know, in every aspect of our life has a lot to do with ancestry and, and ancestor problems. I think that America especially is a very haunted land because we don't know how to deal with death. Like we don't know how to deal with loss. Um, when we talk about things like the, you know, all, all this stuff with racial justice that is going on right now, the black lives matter movement, there is a huge ancestral component to that because we never really dealt with the ghosts of slavery. Like the, like, and I'm talking like the literal ghosts of it, right? Like there are some literal ans- like racist ancestry that is hanging around and is gunking up the works, right? And I think part of ancestor work for me is to talk to those ancestors and be like, okay, move along now, <laughs> like get out of here. Um, so I think that there's also just there's a lot of trauma on, on every side that needs to be dealt with. I, I, in my own practice, there's, I just, a lot of trauma that that gets dug up through ancestor work and it is painful, but when you work through that, it has real benefits in your life today. And so I think that ancestor work is, it's one very simple, so it's easy to get started with, but it, it is very rich and very complex when you, when you really start to dig into it. So that's why I think it's a good kind of first step for people. Absolutely. And I, I, like you said, I think, again, like having that support from the start is, is very important. I mean, we look for that in our, you know, our everyday life as well as someone to have our back or someone to, um, to sort of solidify that we're doing the right thing or, or, or whatnot. So no, I completely understand that. And like you said, too, I think sort of, it's kind of you're you're buffering into talking to a spirit or, um, or, you know, a, a, 
someone from your past uh, other than like some, you, you got to start small. I guess that's the yeah. way I could put it in a way and yeah. work your way up to, uh, to the, the more powerful people in the spirit world, I guess. But um, yeah. I guess uh, sort of moving to modern day when it comes to witchcraft, you mentioned this a little bit earlier um, and it's the same in the UFO community as well. You see kind of this, um, this insidious thing happening where people and people do this in every community, every subculture, Mm -hmm. uh, taking advantage of people's belief systems or uh, latching onto something and commodifying it. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I see this in the world of metaphysics, uh, astrology. uh, But for me personally, it's with the UFO community. When I go to conferences and speak, you know, I'll get up there and talk for an hour about military witnesses uh, having encounters with things they can't explain and military officials backing them up and this and the most serious, credible stuff you can think of. And then next is someone who comes up there and says, I have channeled 10 different races of aliens. Uh, They told me this, they told me this, and I'll give you the answers if you buy my book or if you take my 10 week course, which is $7,000. so yeah, I'd love to touch on this whole aspect with you because um, it frustrates the hell out of me trying to yeah. legitimize what I'm doing. Um, does this happen in your world as well where like you can see the commodification of witchcraft or um, certain practices happening? And um, what do you make of all that? Yeah, I absolutely do. It's very, it's interesting. So I am not as, um, as in the UFO world as I am in like the occult world. But so I, mm-hmm. I this is maybe a thing we can get into later, but that's interesting because I come from UFOs and, and aliens from a very kind of, uh, I don't know if it's like Jacques Vallée kind of standpoint where I'm like, oh yeah, oh, I'm, totally. I, I, for me, it's like, I think it's, they're all spirits. Like personally, I, I hear this stuff and I'm like, okay, maybe some of them are craft, but like, I think most of it is, is spirit stuff. So there's like, to me, that that it, like hearing about that person at that conference hurts me on a couple levels because I'm like, first of all, there are like real victims and real people that you're kind of profiting off of that pain, and then two, it's like, yeah, this is just like, yeah, just a grifter, like just you're just just grifting off of spirituality. Um, I don't know, but ugh. um, but yeah, there, yeah, I definitely see. It's been a minute since I've seen something quite that on those and like quite that uh, insidious as like somebody who sounds like they're literally trying to start a cult, um, you know, like a heaven's gate 2.0 or something, but I, <laughs> um, it's happening. So well. Trust me. Yeah. It went so well the first time. Um, Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I love Nikes. Um, but there's a, uh, yeah. So in the occult world, I, I, the grift is quite easy, but I think that people are a little bit wise to it. Like I, I, so I don't see people coming out and being just straight up cult leaders like that so much um but i do see i think i think the problems with witchcraft are a lot of the same problems with kind of feminism right now where there is a lot of great stuff there and it is like i think it is a net good that these things are becoming popularized i think it is a net positive and i'm happy to see it but it's very easy to like under capitalism to just uh say like great you want a witch t-shirt now like you want you want this stuff that you can buy and uh, in my book, I tried to make it very, uh, uh, very accessible, not just in the way that I write it, but I've made it very purpose, very purposefully made it so that all of the magic in it involves things that you don't have to buy. Like you don't have to 
uh, buy it, we're going and buy a bunch of accoutrements and buy a bunch of stuff to do this. Like you already have this stuff probably in your house or it's like very cheap to get. You don't have to get a bunch of really expensive things. I think personally, if people can gather their own herbs and like know their own landscape, have a working relationship with these things, that's really where magic comes about. Um, I think obviously there's stuff that I buy. I love, I love, you know, occult bookstores. Those are like community centers for me. So I'm not saying that people shouldn't buy anything occult related Buy my book. Um, but there's a, you know, like, please buy my book. Uh, so, but I, I don't think that people shouldn't buy anything occult related because there are like, you know, there are specialty items and there are, you know, there are people that I know who are, you know, pour their heart and soul into uh, jewelry and to, um, you know, oils and incenses and things like that. So I, I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think what happens is when it is divorced from magic and, and you kind of just commodify things, it's part of the same process that kind of destroyed witchcraft to begin with. It, it's the same kind of mechanistic, you know, capitalist model that sort of drove that out of the land to begin with. And so I, I do push back a little bit against that sort of commodification because it's, it, it, you know, it feels the same way that it's, it, that like feminism has been commodified where it's like, no, this, this is actually a very powerful political idea. It actually has some very revolutionary potential in it. And uh, it's capitalism's way of neutralizing these things by commodifying them, like the way it did, the way it did with punk and the way it did with very, uh, you know, kind of radical movements in the past where it's like, uh, now instead of being a sixties radical, you can just dress like one, right. You know, now instead of, instead of embracing the revolutionary power of magic and how like you can make things happen for yourself, like you just with your mind and with your belief, like, well, now you can dress like a witch. Right. Mm -hmm. And again, I fucking love witch fashion. Like I, you see how I'm dressed. Like I, I don't <laughs> hate it. It's just, uh, it does concern me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is such a good point. And I mean, um, I, again, it goes back to that commercialization and um, capitalism is the constant, uh, I guess, obstacle here is every time the individual or let's say community feels empowered, there's always that thing to stamp it down and to quiet its voice. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, and we're going to get into the more political aspect to all of this as well, because that fascinates me just as much but kind of rounding out this idea of pop culture i guess in in witches um like i said wicked for me uh wizard of oz all these ideas of a green-skinned witch or um someone who's evil and snatching up children um i i think i've watched hocus pocus about 10 times already it's on free <laughs> every single night if, if mm -hmm. people don't know um hollywood they they are a big component in all of this and how we as the mainstream perceive witches. So um, do you have any reckons to give when it comes to how Hollywood deals with all this stuff, Sarah? It's interesting because I think, so people ask me that a lot and I think that people want me to be like offended by the Hollywood yeah. witch, right? Like they want me to be like, that's a stereotype. I'm not green, obviously. Like, you know, and it's like, I think that people realize that there's no green people out there. Like, right. I think that there's, I, I, um, personally for me, I'm able to separate out the kind of myth from reality. And I think I kind of have a little bit of faith that most people do feel that way. Um, that most people know that that's not, that these are embellishments and exaggerations or artistic kind of representations. 
Um, so I'm not actually that mad about Hollywood representations of witchcraft. I think right now there is, to me, witchcraft has a very rich history. And to me, witchcraft is, um, its power lies in the fact that it's very hard to define, right? And I think ever since it kind of happened, like ever since people have been doing this, there is this very intense desire to define what witchcraft is. Uh, you know, back going back to the trials, you know, there's uh, a, co- a co- you know a codification of witches meet with the devil on these days, and they do these rites with the devil, and they leave these marks, and this is what happens. And it's like, sure, like may, like I'm sure that there were people who were doing that kind of thing. Like we we know that that's true. If you look at the um, the trial of uh, someone like Elizabeth Gowdy or Isabel Gowdy, sorry. Um, in Scotland, you know, that's a very important piece of history to me because that's somebody who wasn't, um, she wasn't coerced into giving her testimony. She gave it freely. So when she talks about her consorts with the devil, when she talks about meeting the man in black, all this kind of stuff, it is, um, it's something that we're getting probably from someone who did this stuff and not somebody who is just, you know, saying whatever the judges want to hear. So I'm not saying that these practices didn't even exist, but there's this intense from the very beginning. It's, it's very, um, people really want to codify witchcraft into being like, it is just these practices and it is just this stuff and that's it. And witchcraft is very hard to define. It's the hardest aspect of the occult to define. It's not like, you know, druidry or Solomonic magic or, um, you know, uh, Thelema or things like that, where you can, you can look at the history. There are these certain books you have to read. There are certain historical figures that you can point to as like people who started the practice and that's, and it's that witchcraft is really weird. And there's a lot of old documents you have to go through. So to me, uh, I, I think that in, there's always kind of a, uh, a rush by Hollywood to be like, well, witches are only evil or witches are actually only misunderstood, uh, very good hippies, or it's like, witches are actually all feminists. And it's like, you know, witches have been really bad. Like historically speaking, like being a witch was not a good thing. Like it was, it was considered a very bad thing. Even if you were a folk magic practitioner, uh, there were witches. Like if you look at something like the bell witch in, uh, in, in Kentucky, or if you yeah. look at the, the people who were accused of witchcraft in the Salem witchcraft trials, they owned slaves. Like those aren't feminists. Right. So it's not, uh, it's not as simple, but then on the other hand, it's like, well, yeah, it was it was a way to attack women. It was a way to, uh, you know, take power away from the the poor peasant women. And like, so it's very complicated. And I think that to me, it's not so much a problem of like, listen, Mister Hollywood, this is what witches are really like. To me, it's more like I just want more. I want more witches, and I want more diverse, interesting representations of witches. Like, I loved that movie, The Witch, that came out a few years ago because to me, I was like, oh my god, somebody finally did a real folkloric representation of like what Puritans would have thought witchcraft was. And yeah. that's so rare in films now to see, because I feel like there's such an intense, like, no, it's about good women. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. I love it. I love it. But give me one bad witch. Like, give me, I want, I want mean witches again. Right. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Again. Yeah. It's a, it's about, um, giving it a agency, giving it um, individualism, you know, again, like, yes, you could find uh, strength in numbers and in a community, but at the end of the day, like every witch is going to have their own perception, their own rituals, their own way of 
dealing with it and their own reason for having gotten involved with it to begin with. Um, the, yeah. the witch that I'm so glad you brought that movie up. Cause that, that was, I guess, sort of my gateway into, um, uh, which, which is, uh, being a symbol of feminism. I mean, again, from my simple, I guess, <laughs> kind of, um, uh, male centric mind that never, it never really spoke to me until that last scene in that movie when I was just like, whoa, I just had like my perception shattered on what this is. Yeah. And um, and now we're seeing like a reboot of The Craft. We're seeing uh, that new Anne Hathaway movie coming out. I think Witches, which yeah. I think is a remake as well. Um, so that. yeah, it, it's kind of having a resurgence, I think, in Hollywood, hopefully in different ways. But um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting. Of, like it's it's to me, um, what I liked about the witch and like what I like about some of those movies is that I um, like to me, magic is scary. Like there's this. I think there was this long um, there was this long attempt for a very long time to be like witches are actually all good and we just you know we worship mother goddess and mother earth and you know we would never harm anyone. It's like a very Wiccan kind of idea, like do no harm and. Um, you know, it's it's all about peace and love. And it's like, look, at my heart of hearts, I am a hippie. Like, I really do believe in peace and love. Like, I am, you know, I, I do, like, I do want us to all get along, right? But it's like, I don't know. Witchcraft is scary. Magic is scary. It is, it, when you do this stuff and when you do it for real, and it's, and I, I to me, that's what kind of keeps the magic alive is every now and then being like, whoa, I just did that. Like, oh, my God, this is real. And I think it's it's maybe it's similar in the UFO world, too, where it's like people like, you know, people who have these experiences with UFOs, people who have these experiences with like beings from a different dimension or other planet, like whatever you want to take it like. That's really terrifying and like i think the thing that people forget because they're like oh yeah aliens are probably real they're like oh they're probably not real it's like well if they are mm-hmm. that's a big deal like that is a earth-shatteringly big deal and that's something yeah. that, that changes everything about how we know reality works especially like if they're from another planet that's one big thing right but if they're from if they're like a, a interdimensional like spirit being if it's like reality is this veil like that kind of weird shit if it's something like within our own psychic you know understanding of the world that's actually terrifying right that's mm-hmm, like you mm-hmm. said that that's scary and i think with magic it's the, kind of the exact same thing we're like yes okay our thoughts are causative uh you know spirits are real this is all great and that's you can have fun with that and it can take you to a very peaceful loving place but i think sometimes it's important to sit in kind of the lovecraftian terror of it and be like Oh my God! There are beings behind the stars. Like there's like this yeah. is the world is so much weirder than I thought it was, and it, and it continues to get weirder the more I do this. And I, I personally love that. Like I personally think that's great. But um, so I I that I guess maybe that's another thing I push back on is kind of the attempt to defang magic and make it very palpable. I'm like, okay, it can be used for very lovely and nice things, and I do that all the time. But it's scary at the end of the day to me, and I, yeah. I think that's fine. <laughs> Let it be spooky. Let it be spooky somewhere in the spooky skies. That's why you're here today. Um, yeah. No, that you bring up so many like sort of roads we could go down. And I agree with you. I think that um, that concept of, you know, if we, we like to attach the alien to the UFO always, whenever mm-hmm. I do UFO interviews or whatnot, the, it always starts with, um, so aliens are visiting the planet. And I'm like, 
no, I never said that. Like, mm-hmm. but you're a UFO researcher. Yeah. So what? like, I'm not saying aliens are visiting our planet. Uh, people have reported that and they, they, they assume that because where else could these things so non-human come from, from another planet? Um, but they yeah, like you mentioned, tear. like the reality just tears open. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah. And then mm-hmm. all those doors are open. And again, I think that's scary for a lot of people. We want to think it's just aliens visiting our planet or that um, a spirit is just a, you know, the, the, uh, the energy of a loved one. But there's, once you start like stripping back those layers, it's so much more complex. And I think that scares people that fear yeah. of the unknown, you know? So um, I totally yeah. get it. Yeah, to me. So I, I just finished reading um, the Mothman Prophecies, which I love. Nice. Um, I oh my god, so good. Um, yeah. And uh, to me, it just like struck me so much that this was that these were like fairy tales, like you know what people were going through. I was like, oh my god, this is exactly what you read about when you read about old folklore and people having encounters with the devil and stuff like that. And there's so much in that book and in encounters like that that I was. To me, as a magical practitioner, I'm like, yeah, there's no way, like, there's no, there's no physical being that makes this stuff happen. Like, this stuff only happens when you encounter the fae or you encounter the devil. And like, the devil is called the man in black. And then the men in black show up to people's (laughs) doors and like, do weird stuff and are wearing shoes that aren't the right size and are eating sugar pills. I'm like, that's not a fucking fed. That's the devil. Like, get the fuck out of there. You know, <laughs> like to, to me. Yeah, totally. like, oh my god. Um, but yeah. So I mean, and I, I think that that's where people can't. It's that's why I think there is a kind of concerted. I don't know if it's a concerted effort, but why there is a huge resistance in like a very, you know, very staunch materialist branches of uh, science and research against kind of the work that we do. Uh, our research will someday be seen as legitimate by, <laughs> in uh, the science books. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but like sometimes it's just like, um, yeah, because if, if we're right, you have to change everything about what you're believing and about how your world works. And yeah. you don't want to do that. And uh, sorry, I think we are right. Uh, you know, get on the weird yeah. side. Get on the weird train, the crazy train, as Ozzy Osbourne would say. No, but that's such a good point. Like institutions are what keep things in place, you know, and there's some good institutions, obviously, in history. But um, I think you're right. You know, once once that's there, that's the answer. And I think, um, you know, up to a few, what, a month ago, they might might have detected Earth. what am I trying to say there they detected possible life in the clouds of Venus and if we look at something like the the Drake equation this super complex massive equation that life probably does not exist in our own galaxy um, because of this and this and this and this and now all of a sudden it's like hold up there might be life on Venus or there was life on Venus or there is life thriving there now. And it just shatters everything. Mm-hmm. So now it's a matter of, are we going to change everything we thought we knew for so long? Or are we going to take that step to the next paradigm? And I think, again, that goes with so much of what, what you do and, um, and what's going on in the world right now, where a lot of, at least here in America and other countries, people want things to go back to, 
what they were before and keep things status quo. And then another part of the country wants things to change dramatically. And that, that divisiveness, I think, is what has gotten to us to where we are now yeah. um, in probably the most tumultuous American election in recent history, um, which we will, t- we will definitely get to. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I yeah. think um, we need these things right now. We need witches. We need UFO people like Tom DeLonge, like yeah. changing the entire landscape of the conversation, no matter what you think of him or his pop punk music. I mean, this guy for us has uh, opened the doors wide open to yeah. break down those institutions who have tried to tell us, nothing exists and ufos we can explain them away so yeah interesting times we're living in i think i think so yeah i mean the UFO, look the ufo community needed a bank and tom DeLong came along and decided to be the bank you know like yeah that's, that's great um yeah. i think i think for me it's like so what you were talking about with like the paradigm shift i think i kind of write about this in my book but i think we're at a time where not just we're not just going through one paradigm shift right like if you think about just 2020 alone or just the last couple of years alone all right, it'd be one thing if, like, there was just UFO disclosure, right? Like, that'd be one thing if, like, that happened. But that happened on top of a pandemic, on top of, you know, on top of, you know, a bombshell after bombshell report from every type, from everything that's happening, uh, on top of, you know, the rise of QAnon and, uh, you know, cults and Nexium yeah. and Epstein and all of this, everything's happening at once. And it's like, to me, I think that like that's that's consensus reality in a crisis, and it's you know there's no longer like so in magic there is this term called consensus reality. Basically, it's like the the reality that we can all uh, or most of us can kind of um, hang our hat on and and come to agreement over. So like the sky is blue is consensus mm-hmm. reality. New York City is in the United States of America is consensus reality, right? These are things that just like don't have to question it. Um, right. And previously, things like you know, America is the greatest country in the world. That was consensus reality to a lot of people. Or, you know, capitalism is the best economic system. That's consensus reality. Uh, you know, uh, we we fixed racism. It's it, the Civil Rights Act and Martin Luther King. Like, it's over. Certain things like that were just like consensus reality to a lot of people. And all of a sudden, those are getting broken down. Or like, okay, you know, like Earth is the only place where there's life in the universe. Like, getting broken down. And uh, whenever there is a shift like that, there's a moment of initiation where your scope of reality gets bigger because now all of a sudden you are um, you're privy to information that was always there, but you just couldn't see. So you're kind of leveling up magically when that happens. If you lean into it, if you don't lean into those initiatory moments, if you don't lean, in, lean into those paradigm shifts, you could really fuck yourself up because it's like you're trying to wear the kid's shoes when you're an adult. You know, it's like, no, you grew out of that. Now you have to step into the new shoes, even though you mm. like those light up sneakers a lot. Like you've got to step into the bigger ones. Right. And um, that's happening to all of us constantly right now. And I think that that's one reason why so many people are talking about like civil war in the United States of America, because I think to a lot of people, it's the only way that they can see this, re- this reconciling in some way. It's just like things are re- like, uh, you know, the con- like my consensus reality is not the same as a QAnon believer's consensus reality. Like, and, and to a certain extent, that is going to become incompatible at a certain point. That's just like that just doesn't get along. Uh, you know, people who believe in abolishing the police and people who want like the, like Trump being like a law and order president, that's incompatible. Like, that doesn't get along. So there's um, 
I think people look at these inconcil- you know, irreconcilable realities that are that we're dueling with here, which is what I think kind of like magic is as a tool like to understand politics. Like it's a battle of realities and it's a battle of will. Um, we see this and it's like, oh yeah, the, the, obviously there's going to be a civil war because how else is this going to resolve? I don't know. Like, I don't know if there's going to be a civil war or not. I mean, astrologically, we're not going to a great place, but it's, uh, you know, I, I think that it's just a sign that we have to kind of lean into this a little bit. It's, we have to lean into that weird, we have to be, at least in the short term, we have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and mm-hmm. not knowing what is real right now, right? Like, like okay, like for me, I'm a big believer in the, the kind of spirit or non-material belief of UFOs, right? Like that's where I come from. But then I hear about stuff on like this gas on Venus or I hear I see that video that the Pentagon released and I'm like, well, fuck, maybe there are people in spaceships. Like, I don't know. Like, that's fucking weird. So it's like even then for me, I'm like, I don't know what to make of that. And it's uh, it sucks. But I think that if you don't lean into it, that's when you actually have problems. Right. Just yeah. leaning into the not knowing. Yeah, the not knowing. And again, I think that's what keeps us so stamped down is people are not willing to sacrifice their beliefs or, uh, you know, everything they think they are owed or deserved and, um, and not willing to, to accept that we don't know what comes next. And we don't like, this is the most uncertain time in my lifetime, probably in many people's lives. We have absolutely no idea what's going to happen in a few weeks here in America or across the world or where this pandemic is heading. Like we, we've put so much trust in governments in the past. Again, these systems that are there to keep things in check Mm -hmm. and keep things the way they are um, under the guise that it's for the people and it's to protect you and this. Um, But now we're seeing everything like, witchcraft and ufos and magic kind of pushing back at that more than i think they ever have before and that's like you said for us very exciting but we also don't know what's going to happen exactly i don't know I don't know. I mean, if the Proud Boys have, have anything to say about it, we are. But um, that's a whole other story. But no, I, I think I think you're right. I think this is a time where everything you and I have spent our lives looking into and um, embracing uh, and our listeners and viewers and people in our communities have been doing is finally standing up and saying, like, I'm here. Like, yeah. you can't keep us quiet anymore. And uh Sorry. Yeah. 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 Um, well, yeah. go oh, ahead, Sarah. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, no, sorry. No, I, this is, this is to your point, but I actually like yeah. in the history of witchcraft and like being a witch, like that was something I always kept very quiet from people. It was always, I, I used to joke. Now it's the first thing that people know about me, but it used to be the last thing that people knew about me. So <laughs> right. I kept very private. Um, and uh, until you came to my house and it's like, why is there that goat skull there? And I'm like, hey, just ignore. Uh, but anyways, there's, so you like, uh, but for me, it was very much, I had to couch it in a bunch of like science and I had to know anthropology and I had to be like, well, you know, the experiment where the, the things don't go through the two slits and like all that, all that shit that we all know about, like the folks, the greatest hits folks at home know. So I had yeah. to like memorize this stuff and have it ready to go. If I was ever to talk to people about magic, because I had to prove that I wasn't a crazy person, which mm-hmm. is like a whole other conversation I think to be had about shame and these things i think people who are into magic 
paranormal, UFOs, we feel a great deal of shame that we're like still dealing with today that I think we need to just get over because we're right. Um, but there's a, um, I'm adamant about this, but there's, uh, to me, I, uh, uh, for, for me, once, once Donald Trump got elected, all of a sudden, like literally overnight, people didn't question magic the way that they used to. If I told people I was a witch and I was like, oh yeah, like I think that reality is a malleable thing. And I think that thoughts are causative. And I think that we can shape reality how we want to, to a certain extent. All of a sudden people were like, all right, I, that checks out. I believe that. People who I've known my whole life who are atheists and skeptics and you know, adamantly not uh, about this kind of thing, because I think they saw someone basically pretend their way into being president. Like, whatever you think of the guy, I certainly have many, many negative opinions. I think Donald Trump is doing chaos magic very well or has historically done chaos magic very well. I don't think he calls it that. I don't think he knows that that's what he's doing. But he is a like textbook example of really bad malefic magic kind of run amok. And I think people can kind of see that. And when you explain what magic is to them, all of a sudden it's kind of a way to explain like how Trump happened and how the last four years have happened, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I look when he was first elected, um, look at what happened. I mean, you had the women's March directly after that. You, um, one of the first things I saw as kind of like a, a rebellion was, witches all over the world were putting hexes on this guy. So like, <laughs> you're right. Immediately when this man was put into power, you started to see magic rising. And mm -hmm. that, that, that's fascinating to me mm -hmm. to think like that, that's what happened. Um, and the fact that, well, let's, let's, let's unpack that a little bit in yeah. terms of, um, of the current president. Um, we, <laughs> something's going to happen in the next couple of weeks, but the last four years have been to make a prediction. Like here's your <laughs> yeah. of the 2020 election. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I'm, I'm terrified, but that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. It changes every fucking week for me, man. I, there was before Trump got COVID. I was like, I was spiritually certain he was going to win real election. I was like, no, this is going to happen. I don't know anymore. Um, I think that it's, uh, so there's two astrologically, there are two things, I guess I will point out if I, if you, if your yeah. listeners want a little bit of like a prophecy to come. So there's two, let's things. do it. Let's do it. Two things <laughs> to watch out for. Um, I believe December 12th, there is going to be something called the grand conjunction, the great conjunction. And this is something that only happens every 20 to 30 years. It is going to be, um, uh, Jupiter and Saturn are going to be sitting right on top of each other in the skies in the sign of Capricorn. And uh, every time that this has happened in U.S. history, ever since William Henry Harrison, it's something called Tecumseh's Curse. And whoever the sitting president is either is assassinated or has an assassination attempt against them. So uh, or is or dies in office. Um, the only exception to this rule is George W. Bush and 9-11 happened. So uh, December 12th, mark it in your calendars. Uh, it is very likely whoever the president is will die or will something very bad will happen to them. Historically, that's what has happened. Uh, wow. Yeah, so that's one thing to keep an eye out okay. for. And uh, the second thing is on uh, yeah the 4th of July 2021, America is going to have its Pluto return and no country makes it through their Pluto return without a revolution. 
or a civil war or an invasion or a massive change to the government. It happens every like 250 years. It is going to be America's first Pluto return. And uh, I think that everything that we're seeing now is kind of the buildup to that, because obviously we are we are like astrologically due for a huge change to occur. What that change is, I do not know. Um I was a big Bernie Sanders supporter just to put like my tarot cards on the table because I was like, okay, that's how you square the circle. Like that's how you have a revolution in a peaceful way. Like that's how you do revolution by the ballot box kind of. So I was like, all right, thinking with that in mind, this is the thing, like the guy talking about like revolution, but doing it in like a electoral way. Like that's how we do that. That's not happening anymore. So I don't know what's going to occur um but those are the two dates i would say to look out for and to kind of keep in mind while all of this is going on there there's i think the pluto return is kind of anchoring a lot of these shifts that we're seeing in american culture right now interesting wow yeah what were the dates again sarah december 12th december 12th and july 4th the 4th of july okay. so it's okay Pluto will be in the same place in the sky it was when the Declaration of Independence was being signed. So that's how ironic. Yeah, that's America's birthday, right? So that's that's what people are. Yeah, this is going to happen. But astrology has a good sense of humor. I love it. I love it. Um, (laughs) Okay. well, uh, you mentioned um, Bernie Sanders and you mentioned earlier in the, the conversation, your work with the DSA. So I'd love to talk a little about that. Um, I I. I've been to events in New York um, with the DSA, very powerful, amazing movements going on there. And um, how does this play into your life? Now, this is where we really get to politics and and magic and how they are intertwined. And how do you how do you deal with both of these things in your life when it comes to your work with the DSA? Well, it's very interesting, right? Because historically, um, I mean, I don't think anybody's like. I think if anybody knows anything about communism or Marxism or socialism, probably the line that they know is religion is the opium of the masses, right? So they <laughs> people know that and they know that like historically um, they're like, or at least they have a perception historically that the left, like leftism has been uh, antagonistic or unfriendly towards spirituality. And I think that that's definitely true when we're talking about Europe and when we're talking about a lot of parts of the United States. It's not so much the case when you look at places like Latin America, where there's been a really huge embrace of socialism by indigenous people, um, including like indigenous like, spirituality in that. Um, if you look at like the Zapatistas or if you look at, um, sorry, if you look at Evo Morales' Moss Party recently in Bolivia, that kind of thing. Um, there's also a huge, been a huge embrace by socialism, um, by Catholicism in Latin America. Uh, like liberation theology is a really big like socialist movement and um something that actually the current Pope came out of, which is why in his encyclicals, he's very adamant about calling out capitalism in the encyclicals that he gives out. So like, they're not as incompatible as people think, but historically in, at least in like the West capital W um, there has been some like animosity towards religion. Right. (laughs) But again, I think this is really changing recently. And I think that um, it's really been, uh, that's that has not really been my experience. I think, especially with witchcraft, I think witches are very in in socialism right now because of the work of people like Sylvia Federici and uh, other writers like that. I'd like to include myself in that, but uh, who knows? Yeah. I don't know. But um, where you know, if you look historically at like what witchcraft represented, like I kind of went into earlier, 
uh, witchcraft was like the witch trials were the cauldron out of which capitalism came. You know, they, it, it had it. You know, it's if you look at it, it has all the ingredients of what was to come later, and all of the things that. Uh, like, so in Mar- in Marx's you know philosophy, he has this thing called primitive accumulation. So it's whenever a, a economic system forms, it the way that the economic system forms repeats itself kind of in the DNA code of the of that economic system whenever it expands. So for capitalism, it's people have always been very interested in finding like what was that primitive uh, accumulation? Like where did it actually start? Because that will give a clue to like how it functions as an economic system. Uh, and increasingly, I think a lot of people have been have really come around to the idea that the witch trials were the primitive accumulation of capitalism. That and the um, the subjugation of indigenous peoples in Africa and the Americas. But those two things happen simultaneously and actually are very connected. What's up, guys? Ryan Sprague here, and I'm just dropping in to remind you about our Patreon campaign. Somewhere in the Skies is always free to consume, but it's not free to create. So if you want to help the show on a monthly basis, we have tons of rewards for you in return including shout-outs on the show and website, bonus content and episodes, and free merch. Want to be my guest or pick a topic for the show? You can do that too. So if you'd like to learn more and to help support the show, visit patreon.com slash somewhere skies. Thank you, and keep looking up. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, a lot of the technology that was used in the witch trials came from the oppression of indigenous populations. And, you know, the, whether it's the, the cons- consorting with the devil, the um, the actual measures and like the dunking, the burning at stake, the executions, like that all comes from tech that was used on indigenous populations that was then brought home to uh, Europe. I think a lot of socialists and a lot of people on the left have really come around to seeing that as the formation of capitalism. And so it makes witchcraft kind of, I think, a, a very in thing in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very interesting, right? Because, and I don't know if you ever encountered this in, in UFO land and in, in talking to people who maybe don't do the work that you do. 
but there's a part of me where it's like, yes, 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 you know, witchcraft is about the subjugation of the proletariat. Yes, it is about women's empowerment. Yes, it is about, uh, you know, the land and the commodification of the land. Yes, it is about these things. It's also about fucking witchcraft. Like, it is also about the devil. It's also about spirits. It is about soul flight and leaving your body and doing magic. And, like, it is about the spooky, scary shit, too. So, like, while I think there is a political dimension to it, I'm very adamant to be like, yes, and. Like, you cannot separate the two from each other. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so that's kind of uh, something that I I kind of bring to the table, I guess, in my own organizing. I think also just again, I think it's uh, an understanding of magic to me has really helped inform my understanding of politics. And so, uh, you know, if I can bring that to an organizing perspective, that's always a positive for me. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, in, I, I, I feel the same in the UFO world. Like, yeah, we're talking about like the possibility of life elsewhere. We're talking about um, breaking down science that has been like ingrained into our minds throughout history and shattering that and starting anew in some ways. Um, but at the end of the day, like they're fun stories. They're weird. Yeah. Like when I hear that, like someone was, taken aboard a craft and brought to Mars, given a tour and then yeah. back to earth. Like that's cool to think right. about, you know? Yeah. yeah. It, 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 it gets your imagination going. Um, whether it was real or not almost doesn't matter. It's the fact that like, it's challenging your mind to, uh, to think about something other than just like, no, could never happen. Can't bend time and space to get there, whatever. Um, yeah. So I understand that aspect of it as well and i also understand like again this ufo world we're living in where um people are forcing the government into a corner to be like give us some information on ufos because you can't we we're gonna find it and we're gonna and it's happening and military witnesses are coming forward and telling their stories which we know you don't want them to do like just tell us and it's working like we're we're pushing back against that bureaucracy that has kept these things secret for so long. And this isn't even like conspiracy theory. This is a fact that (laughs) the government investigated UFOs secretly for eight years and didn't, nobody knew about it. And now we know about it because someone in that program said, fuck it. I'm done. I can't believe we're not telling the public about what we're discovering here. And I can't believe no one is also taking it seriously. I'm out. And the dude quit the program and then started his own thing to force them to come out with those answers. That Yeah. You know, he was a part of the problem and now he's hopefully part of the solution, I guess is a way to put it. Absolutely. And to me, it's like just a big old middle finger in that fucking stupid line that uh, was said for so long that I feel like when I was when I was younger, I don't know if this is like the line that was still being used more recently, but like, oh, well, if the if the public found out about UFOs being real, there'd be mass panic. People would freak out. And it's like, no, like have yeah. a little bit of faith. Like, I think there's a lot of, um, you know, it, this is this extends to the political arena as well. But I think there's this. Uh, sometimes I really do think that people's politics can be like, do you like people? Like, do you fundamentally like people? Like, do you fundamentally trust people? And like, if you can fundamentally trust that people are going to be able to take information and like digest it and be okay with that, 
that's fine. You know, like that's uh, to me, that's just like that's a big part of my politics is I'm like, I just like people and I just want people to be happy. Like I just, I'm sick of all this shit getting in the way of people just being happy and living like fulfilling lives, you know? And it's just stupid bureaucracy that we have to live under every day. Like just how, how warped and twisted it is. And to me, like UFO disclosure is such a, that's a, like, it, it just, to me, it's very affirming because it's like, yeah, people didn't lose their minds. Like people, we didn't all, run out into the streets like it was the uh you know the broadcast of the day uh, not the day so it's still war of the worlds and the like war of the world you know, yeah the, world, the worlds where like we're all just gonna run outside and think the aliens are attacking us it's like no people can digest this stuff and people can be rational about these things you know yeah, good point. I mean, yeah. and that goes for like, uh, yeah, I don't think we give our fellow human beings enough credit. Uh, that goes for the whole ancient alien theory as well. Like, yes, we were brilliant. We are extremely capable of building the pyramids and these beautiful, incredible things throughout history, um, especially people of color who built them. Uh, mm-hmm. And let's strip them of all of that by saying aliens helped them, you know, yeah. so. Yeah, I think it goes, there's a lot of ways you could look at it. And look, I know I have listeners and viewers who are um, uh, either right wing or um, a supporter of the president. And I have people on the other end of the spectrum. And I think what that says truly is that there are things beyond politics that can we can all connect with. And um, like you said, you just want people to be happy. Of course, that's what I want too. I may yeah. be more left-leaning than a lot of my listeners and everything, but that doesn't mean like I want this person on the right to like have a heart attack and die. It, it no. just means like we have different idealisms. And that's the way that politics, I think, the more evil side of it creeps in and they yeah. divide us instead of bringing us together. And what brings us together? Witchcraft. UFOs. These are the things, these magical things in our world that we deny that could actually bring us more together. So I think there's so much to unpack there too. Yeah. And I think it's about also staying humble to a certain extent where it's like, yeah, like I, you, you know, I consider myself like a socialist or like a communist or whatever. I'm sure some people are like, oh, what? But it's like, even then I say that and I'm like, I, you know, I say that because it's the closest political definition I can come to what I am. But I don't think like Marx was necessarily somebody who had every single thing right. Like, I don't think that mm-hmm. any philosopher had everything right. I don't think that, you know, any any of these guys like Bakunin or, or Luxembourg or any any of those guys like had 100 percent it down, especially nowadays. Yeah. when you know, there were certain historical things that they just couldn't anticipate. Like Marx didn't know that the internet was going to be a thing one day. They Nobody anticipated drone technology or UFO technology or any of that kind of stuff. So it's like, to me, it's about uh, doing magic and, and being engaged in the paranormal is uh, about staying humble because whenever you think you have things figured out, whenever you think you're on top of it and you're like, no, okay, I've got, I've got politics down. I know what the answers are. I know exactly what we got to do. And then it's just like, like again, that, that door opens up and something else fucking weird comes out. And you're like, well, back yep. to the drawing board because I don't know shit, I guess. You know? Yeah. And welcome to anarchy. I mean, it's about breaking mm-hmm. things down and building them back up in a whole new light. And again, that's where these things we do, that's where it lays. I, I honestly believe that. Um, well, okay. So I guess 
moving away from politics, mm, not really, actually, this is actually has a lot to do with politics. Um, no, and this will be my last question. That's yeah, I know. I know. Right now, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially American politics. Um, like we said earlier, super tumultuous. Um, I have a pit in my stomach and every day I wake up. Um, and like you said, we're in the middle of a pandemic on top of that and UFO disclosure and genocides around the world. It just like everything all at once. And it's always there in some form, but I think it's been amplified tenfold by technology on the internet and, and everything like that. But um, let's talk about the election in America in terms of voting. Now, I remember you saying, I believe it was in the book um, or an interview, uh, voting is just a tactic. So I voted, I assume you voted, millions of Americans voted earlier than they ever have before, which is amazing and awesome. Um, Please go vote, please, please vote. No matter who you vote for, just do it. Just do it. I actually haven't voted yet because I'm voting on election day because Mercury will be oh, direct then. And I do not, this particular Mercury retrograde is very intense and I do not trust yeah. it. So I am waiting until I'm actually going to stand in line on election day and vote because I, I do not trust this Mercury retrograde. I'm waiting until it's over. But yeah. Good for I, you. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, it's like, it's weird. So like, I guess for me, like tactic versus strategy, right? Is that the question? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so this is maybe like, I mean, check out the book. I go into it more there. But something that I think is um, uh, for anybody, for any political delineation that's, that's listening to this right now, uh, one thing that's very important to understand is that there is a difference between political tactics and political strategy. And people confuse these two ideas a lot. So and people and people do it on literally every side of the political spectrum. I see people do it on the far left, far right, center liberal, conservative, whatever. Like I see people confusing these a lot. So a tactic is something that you use in the service of a greater strategy. So like for me, let's say like I'm a socialist organizer. I want to build socialism eventually, right? That might not be what you're trying to do if you're listening at home. But like for me, that's what I'm out here trying to do. Um, that is the, the strategy for me is like the, the long-term narrative and goal of how I make that happen. Then there are tactics in between how I do that. If you want to break it down even um, even more simple than that, let, let's say the, the long-term strategy, like I'll use a personal example for myself. So I live in Queens in New York. Uh, there is a bunch of uh, power plants here uh, that pump out most of New York City's energy. And uh, they're incredibly dirty. The neighborhood that I live in has the highest rate of asthma in all of the state because of these, these factories. And... Uh, it's not necessary, right? There's a, there's a lot that um, can be, you know, shut down or, you know, should be converted over to more renewable energy. And my working group right now is in the process of doing a campaign called the public power campaign. So we believe that the energy and, uh, you know, power should be a publicly owned and operated good. Like it should be seen as a public good and not a commodity. So uh, basically what we're trying to do is break the grid in New York City down into smaller microgrids that the community would have direct control over and direct uh, ways to vote on how the energy is used, the, the places that it comes from. This has already been done in places in New York City, like in Sunset Park, this group uprose recently created the first uh, solar co-op in the, in, the, um, in the country, I think. So it's that this place in Sunset Park literally 
the whole community has a has a buy-in, has a d- democratic buy-in to the grid, and they voted to uh, do green energy and to do like have a solar co-op. So now this whole area in Sunset Park is 100% renewable because of democratic control. So that's where we're trying to get back to people, right? Mm-hmm. So that's like the goal, and the longer strategy of the goal is things like okay, we have to get electeds, uh, you know, we have to get electeds put into place that are sympathetic to our goals. We want uh, to shut down certain power plants that would stand in the way, that would set us back on our timeline when we have to fix global warming by. Uh, we, we want to implement certain laws that would make this organizing easier, that kind of thing. Those are, uh, those are strategies within the service of this larger goal. And then tactics are like the individual things that you do. So that could be engaging in a protest, voting, um, letter writing, petitioning, um, doing direct action of some sort. Uh, door knocking and canvassing. These are all tactics. And there is, um, you know, w- within a movement, there's always a debate to be had over whether tactics are effective or not, right? Mm-hmm. So for instance, like you can have, like people might have a lot of debate over like if shutting down a highway is an effective tactic in a protest or not. Like, does that actually help that movement or not? I personally think that's kind of a case by case basis sort of thing. My, some people might get mad at me for that. I, you know, I've been stuck in traffic and hate it too. There, but that's like what I mean is like that is not a criticism of protesting. It is a criticism of that particular tactic of protesting, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Kind of like to me, it's like I like to get very specific with these things because I think a lot of political arguments come from a lack of specificity. So yeah. being specific with our language is, I think, very important um, in what we're talking about. Um, so it's uh, you can agree with the goal of a protest, but maybe disagree with the tactic and how they go about that, right? Um, yeah. So for me, voting should best be understood as a tactic towards a greater strategy of change. And I think that this is where a lot of people have um, feel very hopeless and very lost right now. I mean, me personally, it's like Joe Biden, super not my first choice, probably one of my last choices, to be honest, right? And I remember when he was first uh, nominated, I was like, fuck this. I am not voting for this man. Like, fuck this shit. Fuck everyone. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Like, you're okay. Fuck you. Like, it's, you know, I was so mad about it, right? And I think what I eventually come around to is, like, I think what upset me at first was, like, um, neither uh, voting for Joe Biden, not voting for Joe Biden, neither side seemed to have a strategy, right? Like, a coherent strategy where it's, like, to me, it's, like, if you want to not vote for Joe Biden, that's cool. But what's your strategy after that? Right. Like what is, what is not, what is the tactical reasoning behind not voting for this person in the service of a larger goal? Right. And you can make that argument, but I just don't see it being made in very uh, satisfactory ways. A lot of the time. I also don't really find it very satisfactory to vote for Joe Biden and then hope that he'll move leftward. However, I think that there's slightly more, weight to that argument like i think that there's just slightly more uh weight to that strategy and that tactic and saying okay we don't like either person but joe biden is at least going to like give a passing like to the left in a way that donald trump will not right and he'll at least be like at least on a surface level more uh respectful of our goals than donald trump will right he's not going to jail all of us probably right so there's like a um i see the strategy there slightly more than I see the strategy for not voting. And I'm very sympathetic to both because it's like, I don't like the situation we're in either. But I think when you break it down and you think about voting as a tactic in service of a larger goal and a larger strategy, 
becomes a little bit easier to understand what you're actually doing. And I think, yeah, like I, it's, yeah. it's moving beyond just the vote, don't vote discourse, right? But yeah. it's just like, vote, don't vote. And it's like, yeah. you know, like, let's just actually think about what we're doing for a second, right? Yeah, totally. And I mean, it again, it's putting what you want, you know, in your mind, in your heart, in everything into action. And that's why, you know, we've talked so much about activism in this conversation and politics, which I'm sure a lot of my listeners and viewers weren't expecting, but like too damn bad. Like that's, that's where, that's what this is about. And I, again, that, that idea of politics and magic and um, you know, this, this weird dance between the two is, is, extremely eye-opening and I hope people will be open to that watching and listening to this. Um, and for sure, like it, it's, it's extremely interesting. You know, I, I, I'm doing this Halloween series. So there's a very surface level um, to that and that's pumpkins, owls, witches, and all this fun stuff. But at the core of it, um, this is about a movement and a movement that's been seen throughout history in many different ways. And I think that's amazing. And again, no matter what side of the political spectrum you lean on, you can find something empowering about what I think witchcraft represents. So I hope people will embrace that. But um, here's my, uh, my back to Hollywood for you, Sarah, um, before we get to some listener questions, if you're willing to stick around for that. Absolutely, yes. Cool, cool. I had more than I ever expected, which is awesome. I'm super excited. Um, let's end with Mysteries Decoded on the CW Network, a show you and I are both a part of. Um, I don't know about you, but when this first came about, I was like, what? Like, it just like happened, fell out of the sky. But what was the experience like? Uh, what was your episode about that you did of Mysteries Decoded? And what was that whole experience like working, um, I guess, with Hollywood on trying to get the word out about not, witches and witchcraft. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for you, it literally fell out of the sky. Cause you were talking about rock. Yeah. Fell and crashed. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, no, it was great. I, I mean, it was kind of, um, it was kind of a dream come true in a little bit of a way because I, so I grew up in Massachusetts and I grew up going to Salem every October. It's like going to Salem was what made me want to be a witch someday because I was, you know, uh, it, it was like a place I would go and I didn't feel so weird, right? Like that one time of year I was like, okay, yeah, people really do do this and people really practice this stuff and like there are real, like there's a there's a world out there for me somewhere and I can, there's going to be a day where I could be part of that. And so, you know, Salem is a big, it's a big part of my heart, you know, a, a big part of like who I am comes from that place. And so actually getting to go there and talk about the Salem witchcraft trials and talk about the history of that place and, you know, actually getting to hold historical documents in my hands and go to these places, like get an all access pass to places that I normally wouldn't be able to go to was incredible. It's like a dream come true for someone like me. So I was, I was super into that. Um, and it's, it was, it's very interesting. Like I, I had done, some smaller scale things that, that, um, from that before. So I have done, I did some work with Vice. Um, actually, I did. I don't know if you've ever talked to um, the queer paranormal uh, people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that was, that was like, I did a documentary on them for Vice when I was working with them awesome. a while back. Yeah, that's, that's so Shane and all Go of check that. them out, everybody. Yeah, go they're check great, them out. Great. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I, I got to hang out with them and um, 
uh, in Ohio and then in Seattle at this film festival they were at. So I had, to, I had done kind of smaller scale things like that and like a video, like, you know, like I, like October is the season of the witch. So I had done kind of videos on like, what is witchcraft before? But that was my first kind of larger scale uh, TV appearance. And I don't know, I'm a Leo. So anytime I get treated like talent, I'm like, <laughs> I'm in my element. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just as a, just as a witch, it was like such a dream come true to just like visit those places, talk to people, uh, really get into that case on a very, uh, on a very deep level. So I, I yeah. love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and that brings up a good point. Um, and full disclosure, uh, we're both Leos, uh, which we connected on earlier. And also we live yeah. like blocks apart in New York city, which is insane. <laughs> even though I'm like thousands and thousands of miles away right now, uh, we probably could have done this in person, but we would miss the season of the witch. So um, Hollywood, I guess I hate using that word, Hollywood Um, television. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Hollywood (laughs) weird. Um, Television affords you resources that you might not otherwise have as an independent researcher and stuff like that. So, you know, embracing those aspects of it is amazing. Like you said, like you touched documents. I put my feet on the ground of the impact site where a UFO might've crashed a place I never in my life thought I would be. And that was life changing for me, no matter what happened back then in 1947, when something (laughs) crashed in Roswell, um, I was there and you, you know, you, you can just feel the history and, and everything around you, which is awesome. So I'm, I'm sure that was a really um, defining kind of journey for you as well. Uh, what did you come out on the other side thinking about what you guys looked into? You kind of looked at like the witch trials and then like stuff going on in modern day um, in terms of like, you know, paranoia and hysteria and all these, all these other things. Um, Yeah. What'd you come out on the other side thinking after that? Yeah. You know, paranoia and hysteria, thankfully not very relevant topics to today in our lives at all. Um, Not one bit. No one's losing their minds over anything. Um, So yeah. Yeah. yeah, Very calm times. (laughs) Uh, Very normal. Uh, Yeah. So it was interesting, right? Because um, at first I, I was actually a little bit afraid that I was going to be made to be like, uh, demons are real and they were all possessed by demons and these girls are also possessed by demons. Like that's what's going on. And that's like not what I think happened in Salem. So I was a little bit afraid I was going to get put into a corner where I was going to have to be like the weirdo that's mm-hmm. like saying that's like to be the counterweight to Jen, who's very skeptical and very like not a believer in any of this stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought I was going to have to be the extreme other. Like I was going to have to really be the molder and be like, well, what's what the devil? And like, I, uh, I didn't have to go that far because I think we kind of did agree on a lot of the sort of socioeconomic maybe reasons behind the Salem witchcraft tri- trials and what was going on historically at the time, that kind of thing. I think if I was going to get a little bit weirder with it, right? Like if I'm going to talk, you know, talk the lines now that I that got cut maybe for the episode. Yeah. Uh, it's weird, right? Like, so the, the whole thing, if people haven't seen the, the episode or haven't seen the show, uh, the two things that we're investigating are the Salem Witchcraft uh, Panic, the Salem Witchcraft Panic of 1692, and uh, the this mysterious occurrence that happened in this town, Danvers, which is Old Salem Village in Massachusetts, where a bunch of girls on this soccer team suddenly fell into fits that were very similar to the fits that were experienced by the young girls in the original Salem Witch Trial. So uh, obviously it's very weird because it's basically the same thing happening 
300 years apart in the same exact place. Um, so it's, it is a very weird, you know, thing. It's, and, uh, you know, I hesitate to say coincidence because people in my line of work don't really believe in coincidences, right? Same, so, yeah. yeah. So we call that a synchronicity, not a coincidence. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there, to me, I guess what I would say is that um, beyond the, you know, obvious, you know, socioeconomic, like scientific reasons that we can talk about, about how stressful it is to be a teenager and especially being a teenage girl, especially in 1600s, you know, I, I don't know what was going on at this high school, but it certainly seemed like a, maybe a stressful time period for like a lot of these people. Um, for me, it also speaks a little bit to just the spirit of that land. Like, I think that that's just something that we're not really comfortable talking about. And that I get why it didn't really make it onto the episode because it's just hard to talk about. Like, how do you counter that? How do you, how do you make sense of that? Um, there's a, to me, it's like, okay, well, maybe the land around Salem and the, that place just lends itself to hysteria. Like, this is just something that's there. That's just a spirit that exists in that place. And kind of talking about the devil as being not a guy and not a, a literal spirit, but as just chaos, like as the trickster element in, in the paranormal, which is how I kind of think of the devil as just that that weird shit, right? The fact that, uh, you know, going off, sorry, my, I'm just plugging my computer in because I... Oh, no worries. My computer's about to die. Okay. Sorry. But yeah, like, I think if we're talking about, you know, the paranormal and we're talking about uh, things like how the the gimbal footage for Bigfoot was faked, the fact that some people fake uh, alien sightings, fake uh, Bigfoot sightings, and how that's part of it. Like, that's actually, that is the devil. Like, that is the... Yeah in that thing and and to point at that and say see every that makes everything fake is kind of missing the larger phenomenology at hand and like what is going on so to me you know with the girls on the soccer field with the girls in in old salem i think it might have been a very similar thing at play where i don't know if there's a an explanation like a physical explanation beyond you know um yeah, like the spirit of that place just being home to being very at home with things like that happening. Uh, mm -hmm. Salem is a very hysterical town. Like there's a lot of weirdos <laughs> who live there. And I love yeah. them with all of my heart and soul and I love Salem. But like you can't say it's a normal place. You just <laughs> right. and yeah. uh, you know, it's so it's just part of the DNA up there. And I think that that's fine. Like I think that that's that's good and it's yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think it's um, it's really important for places like that to embrace it instead of denying it. I mean, Roswell is a small, small town that honestly probably wouldn't have survived up until today without that UFO crash having happened. And of course, you're going to find locals who don't ever want to talk about it or be known for that. But they have a festival every year that draws thousands of people in and it supports the communities for the entire year. So like there is a good thing to come of an event that um, we will probably never know the answers to. So like, just embrace that. That's how I feel. Whether it's Mothman in West Virginia or the witch trials in Salem or Ross or what have you like yeah. embrace the weird, embrace the weird shit. Um, That's we are. Yeah. Yeah. I embrace the weird. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm glad you agree. Um, yeah. 
let's uh, let's move on to some listener questions. These should be fun. Um, again, I didn't know what to expect when I put this out there, but man, people were really excited to hear from you, Sarah. So um, let's start with David. David on Facebook asks, Sarah, thank you so much for being interviewed. How compatible is witchcraft with organized religion? We didn't really touch on organized religion too much. Um, what are the challenges of your practice with those in your family, friends, work, um, in terms of all that? Yeah. Interesting. That's a good question. I, um, fortunately my family has been pretty cool. I didn't really, like, I really wasn't out to my family about the stuff that I did until I got a book deal and then was like, surprise. Um, you know, like I do, we have a witch in the family. Um, so, uh, but you know, having said that they've been really supportive and really, uh, really cool with everything. So that's been good. Um, for me, in terms of religion and, oh, and in terms of everyone else in my life, like, I live in New York City. I think, like, you throw a rock and you hit a witch at this point. Um, <laughs> like, it's, you know, like, a lot of girls are into witchcraft these days. And, you know, the, the witches of Bushwick are very real, right? So um, there's, uh, so, yeah, like, I, it's, it's, I think, becoming far more accepted, in at least in my community and, like, where I live. Um, in terms of organized religion in witchcraft, it's a very good question. Um Historically, I would say like witchcraft and kind of folk magic. I, uh, a quote that I heard a while ago that I like is, uh, you know, witchcraft begins where the priest ends. So kind of where organized thought, organized religion, mainstream thought ends, that's when you enter the domain of witchcraft or the dominant of witchcraft. We're going to get like yeah. Charles Fort up in here, right? Like that's, yes. that's everything, everything that we do beyond that is what is witchcraft. So I, um, so while there are things like Wicca that try to kind of make witchcraft into a religion, I do think that witchcraft is fundamentally kind of an undefinable thing. It is a very fundamentally weird, eclectic sort of thing that doesn't really fit into being an organized religion itself, right? Hmm. Um, having said that, I don't think that, um, like, like historically, if you look at it, if you're trying to maybe make something like uh, witchcraft compatible with something like Christianity, um, historically, folk magic practitioners use the Bible a lot and used saints a lot. Um, if you look at the Psalms, the book of Psalms is basically a spell book. Um, you know, there's a lot to be had for that. So if you're trying to kind of synchronize or um, put those two parts of your life together in terms of Christianity and uh, witchcraft, there's a lot to be had there. There's a lot of really rich history. If you look at old grimoires, old spell books, um, especially if you, if you uh, like the Pendle witches and, uh, you know, Isabel Gowdy, these types of people historically were using the Bible and were using uh, biblical texts and uh, magic that references angels and gods and, and or God and uh, Jesus and these types of figures, right? So they're much more compatible than people might think that they are. Mm. Um, in addition to that, I think, you know, there's obviously, I don't know as much about the history of, you know, witchcraft and things like Judaism or Islam, other types of organized religions. But I know that there is a history there and uh, I would definitely look into it. And so definitely um, I know, I know there's a lot of Jewish folk magic out there. I know that there's a lot of um, Islamic folk magic out there. So um, do a little digging and you might be surprised at what you find. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and the inner relationship too, I think is an important part too, for sure. Um, let's, let's move to spells. Um, Connie on Facebook asks, what do you find to be the most effective way to gather energy for use in casting a spell or charm? 
Oh, okay. So for me personally, um, I, I find this fairly easy for myself, like ga- kind of gathering energy to like charge a spell or charge a, a thing. Um, what I, the visualization that I usually do is kind of like taking a second, taking a breath, visualizing kind of like a ball of energy, like within myself, like within my core, and then having that emanate out from my hands or from whatever. Um, that's usually the kind of visualization that I do. Uh, for me, it's pretty easy to get into that mindset. I do, it doesn't take a lot of like chanting and meditating and magicking to get there. But for you, I, I mean, if it depend, if that's like if you're trying to latch that onto something or to uh, you know further that, I think doing just like a a, a solar like like a middle pillar kind of. Uh, exercise is a very good and like tried and true way to sort of bring that energy up through you. Uh, Sometimes what I'll do is if I'm trying to like refresh myself, I'll maybe cleanse a little bit, like burn some rosemary, visualize like kind of light coming down on top of me and like soaking that up in some way or like coming up from the ground, like, like a root system. Um, Yeah. That's kind of, if I feel like I need a recharge, that's, that's what I'll sometimes do. I'll have like visualizations that I kind of go through but I, the basic thing that I do if I'm trying to bless something with energy is a kind of, you know, ball of light emanating out, going into the object. That's that's what I basically do. Awesome. Visualization is key for sure. Um, this kind of plays off of that as well. Nikita on Facebook asks, do you have a favorite banishing spell or is it faster to just tell some people to fuck off? <laughs> it's definitely faster to tell some people to fuck off. Um <laughs> I'm a New Yorker now, so I just tell everyone to fuck off. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, for a banishing spell, um, depends on what you want to do, and it depends on how, like, what, how you want this person out of your life. Um, for me, uh, so like one of my favorite protection spells to do is something called Fiery Wall of Protection. Um, it comes from Hoodoo and root work. Uh, if you look up online, or if there are recipes you can find. Um, you know, I, uh, I have a recipe I like myself in terms of banishing. Um, yeah. So, I mean, look up fiery wall of protection oil, consider make, consider buying or making some of that and like lining your property or your phone or your computer, however you're interested. Cause what that will do is it will, um, it won't harm people unless they try to fuck with you. And then if they fuck with you, then they will get fucked with. It's like them, you know, it's a tripwire. So I like that. I don't want to directly harm people, but it's like, keep back um and uh i would i mean maybe try maybe try the good uh, there's like there's nothing wrong with a good old-fashioned binding like wrapping someone up in black tape uh taking a picture of them uh taking black masking tape or a black ribbon and uh coiling that away from you over the picture and then putting that in the back of your freezer and just getting rid of them that way um that's that's a very effective way to go about that so um yeah, I would say if, if telling them to fuck off isn't working, maybe try those two ways. Nice. Yep, yep, I love it. Um, okay, Mike on Facebook asks, what are some misconceptions people have about witchcraft and magic? We kind of covered that, but yeah, anything specific really coming to mind? I feel like I talked a lot about it, but yeah, yeah I'd say, um, yeah, I mean, just going back into what I said, like trying to make it either all evil or all good, to me, that's oversimplifying it in one direction or another. Witchcraft is really complicated. It's really old. 
it's really uh it's sometimes annoyingly complicated how much stuff there is out there to learn but i'm a nerd so i love it um but yeah it's uh don't don't make it so simple it's a very complicated and very weird thing and i think that that's part of the beauty of it yeah yeah embrace it um chris on facebook asks as an anglo-saxon brit i specifically interested in the relationship to the history and culture of witchcraft in europe and in england specifically he says uh, i know a little about the green man culture here but i would like to know more about the history of our culture cultural beginnings and more particularly of green women is this something you're uh you're familiar with sarah yeah absolutely so yeah. i would if this person is living in England and is trying to like uh, get more into kind of cultural, um, historical, you know, maybe uh, practices of witchcraft, there's a couple sources I would look into. Uh, Gemma Gary is one of my favorite authors when it comes to traditional witchcraft. She lives in Cornwall, so she is mostly concerned with Cornish witchcraft. Uh, and I don't know if that's where this person is living, but and I know that Cornwall is kind of you know ethnically, culturally a little separate from the rest of England. But I would say that's a really great place to start is looking into Gemma Gary and her uh, her writings. I think Traditional Witchcraft, uh, Cornish Book of Ways is like her biggest book. But then she has a lot of other books about uh, like The Devil's Dozen is another really great text. Uh, she's someone to check out. There's also the Museum of Witchcraft in Boss Castle, England, which is like I want to go to so badly. I am not sure if they're open right now, but the people who own that museum have a lot of books that they've published. Um, there's a um, Graham King, I believe is a big uh, person who works out of there. And Graham King has written a lot of great books on English magic. Um, this is kind of my wheelhouse too, is English magic specifically. So I feel you. Um, so you got Graham King, Gemma Gary, um, check out Scarlet Imprint. They're not only witchcraft, they're also, you know, paganism and occultism in general, but they're a book publisher out of the UK and they're one of my favorite book publishers. They've written some of my favorite books. Uh, so the Scarlet Imprint is an amazing resource to check out. And um, I think they do events there. I don't know what events are going on in England right now, but uh, they might be doing events in the future. So keep an eye out if they do, because Peter Gray is amazing and uh, Kistis is amazing and um apocalyptic witchcraft that he wrote a while ago just kind of blew witchcraft wide open so check those out um and in terms of green women um it's very interesting right because it's it's like the green man archetype is very much kind of like pan or the generative force of um like the male generative force of nature i'm not as familiar with green women being a thing historically but mm -hmm. i think that that's because there's there's historically been kind of a dichotomy between like mother nature and then the kind of more active uh characters of mother nature like the green man the devil that kind of thing um witches you know kind of are the green women in a way because they're the ones fornicating with the devil and that and that yeah. uh and you know there's a, probably other um local lo local spirits and local legends where you live so you know check out the local historical society in your area and and, and poke around and see what you could find awesome yeah, yeah, green women. It's a myth in the making. We're starting it right now. I love it. Your own green woman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Be your own green woman. Okay. Um, Sean on Twitter asks, is the practice of witchcraft different than someone born into a family of witches? In other words, is witchcraft a learned ability or do you just have it? Um, I guess kind of like, you know, mm. being born with a superpower or something. The understanding of witches is starkly different throughout the world. And I wonder if there are any deeper connections. Um, so yeah, can you be born with these abilities or is it something learned or I'm sure it's everything? Yeah, I, I like 
to liken it to um to music and how some people are just naturally very talented at music or or any sort of thing. But you know, like if you use it as an example, some people they pick up a guitar and you know in a couple minutes, even if they don't haven't been taught how to play it, they'll, they'll just be naturally very good at it. And some people have to practice so hard and have to have to go to a million classes and then they can they can barely make like one tune out or one melody out, but they can technically learn how to play the guitar. I think the magic that's is me. kind of yeah. yeah. That's me. I'm terrible. Oh my god, I'm awful. <laughs> so yeah, like that's also be with math, like anything math related. I'm like I got into magic because I don't. I'm not good at math. Like don't. Yeah, we are definitely yeah. both Leos. Yeah, same. Um. So yeah, I for me, um, for me, I think magic can be done by anybody. I think if somebody tells you you can't do magic pay them no mind um, because they don't know what they're talking about. Uh, anyone can do magic. We all do magic all the time without knowing it. Uh, it's about learning how to do it. It's about like, you know, the, to me, the fundamental thing about magic is thoughts are causative. It's like the fundamental truth that I think we can say across magical disciplines, right? Mm-hmm. And, a, and across the world, uh, thoughts are causative. And once you understand that, there's a lot of ways that you can practice that and, uh, come into greater uh, understanding and, and uh, strength in that. So for you, meditating for 10 hours a day might be your flavor, but also maybe that does nothing for you. And maybe it's you're more ecstatic and you have to dance and you have to get out and do stuff. Or maybe you're more of a bookworm. Maybe you're more experiential. Like Whatever it is, like find the way that works for you to learn this stuff. I definitely don't think you have to be born into it in order to do it. Um in terms of global things about witchcraft, yeah, it's it's historically witchcraft is not a good thing. Witchcraft is bad. Uh, they are the women, the harpies in the forest who are coming to steal your baby and, and curse your crops and lay seeds to your village. Like it's not historically been a good thing, and in most of the world, it is still not a good thing to be a witch or associated with witchcraft. Um, so that's where I do sometimes differentiate witchcraft from folk magic because historically there was that divide. Uh, like a lot of the people we look at historically and say, that's a witch, like they're doing witchcraft. They probably wouldn't call themselves a witch or very rarely call themselves a witch. Um, but I think that there's a lot to be said for, um, like I said earlier, like the witch, is, the witch begins where the priest ends. All spiritual and medical and scientific and, um, uh, you know, cultural knowledge that is not stored in kind of the mainstream is stored in uh, the witches and stored in folk magic practitioners who keep those prayers and the stories and the knowledge alive. So that's, I think, a very, a very common cultural trope across the globe. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Um, all right. So our last listener question here is from Brian on Facebook. And this is something we didn't touch on. Um, I completely forgot to ask you about this is dream magic. Have you ever done any magic work that involves visiting people in their dreams? Or have you ever been visited in a dream by someone that you were sure was projecting themselves into your mind? And then sort of the second part of the question, what are the mechanics of this as far as you know? And how do you view the ethics of projecting yourself into someone's dream without their prior consent? Wow, this is this. there's a lot to unpack here for sure. The ethics of dream magic. Magic. Oh, that's a whole conversation right there. Get my tea tea ready to sip. (laughs) So uh, in terms of magical ethics, what I was saying earlier about how magic um, is not, or like the witchcraft has not historically been seen as a good thing. 
I think that sometimes there are ideas about like consent being violated that go along with that, right? That you're doing magic on other people without their consent. And that's historically what witchcraft has kind of been about for better or for worse, right? Like, if you're healing somebody without their no knowledge, like, is that so bad? Like, is that a bad thing? Mm-hmm. Sending them vibes without them knowing um, or without them consenting? That's like a whole bigger conversation to get into. But, uh, you know, a lot of magic is done without other people knowing that you're doing magic to them. Uh, that's that's part of like what a lot of witchcraft is is the secrecy of it uh, that you don't know you don't want your boss to know that you're binding them so that they don't fire you like you don't want them to know that shit because uh, it's not their business quite frankly so right but it's like um so there's there's kind of there's degrees right and then when it comes to love magic that's like a whole other conversation right uh, but with dream magic so I I do a lot of dream magic but for me dream magic is um. I I record my dreams like when I wake up I try to keep a record of my dreams and I try to keep a dream journal or a dream log of some sort because I do think that there is usually like wisdom or think like spirit guides other people that are coming through in my dreams and kind of like there's a texture difference that I think I can tell I don't know if people know what I'm talking about but for me there are dreams that feel like just dreams where it's like okay I watched this movie last night and now I'm dreaming I'm in that movie like that's what that dream is I can understand that. But then there are dreams where you just know that it's different. Like the vibe is just completely different. It's like touching silk as opposed to touching velvet, right? That's how I liken it. Um, So I think uh, dream magic can be very difficult to do because it's, you're doing it when you're unconscious. But I think that the more conscious you get, like the more you write down your dreams, the more you will be able to remember your dreams. Therefore, the better that you will be at lucid dreaming, the better you'll be at doing active magic in your dreams. I'm still not at the point where I'm completely lucid in my dreams, but I have gotten to the point where in my dream, if I don't like something, I can know that I'm dreaming and like go over to a different room or go to a different scenario. So that's, nice. I have gotten, I have, I can, from personal experience, I can attest that you can get better at dreaming by, by recording your dreams and being conscious about it. Um, I believe that I have had people project into my dreams without getting too into it. I have definitely had some like bad breakups where I have like seen, I've like, get out of my fucking head, you you ex of mine. Like, I've definitely had that happen to me before. And I don't know if they're meaning to do it. Uh, I don't think that they were, but I'm just like, oh my God, you're still here. Um, you know, so there's there's parts where I'm like, I, I can definitely see that that's kind of happened. Uh, I have not really projected myself into other people's dreams. There is, um, at least without, I've never consciously done that. What a big thing that occult practitioner, like friends of mine and myself will do is if I, this is kind of just an unspoken rule that we have, but if I ever see any fellow witches or anybody in my dream, I always tell them, I'm like, okay, you were in my dream last night and this happened. I think you need to know this because to me, that's kind of a sign. Like, if a, like that's just a good thing. It's just good to tell people that they were in your dreams because what if that's important? Usually mm-hmm. in my experience, it is. Like I had a friend uh, who was a practitioner down in New Orleans and I had a very weird dream where he was there and uh, there was a like serial killer outside the door who wanted to talk to him. And I was like, this is, feels weird. And I literally woke up in the middle of the night and I texted him and I was like, don't trust anybody you talk to right now. Like if there is a guy, if you're like walking around and there is a guy like that like wants to talk to you, do not talk to them right now. Like this just happened in my dream. And he literally called me and was like, the second you texted me that somebody came up and asked me for a light and like on on a cigarette and like later when I got back home like that guy like started a fight with someone 
and like so talk to your talk about your dreams with your friends if they're in if they're in your dreams um sorry i'm I'm totally totally rambling now uh no 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 that's really interesting yeah i'd say a good tech good tech to check out if you're trying to get better at dream magic is look up um icelandic runes there's a lot of Icelandic runic magic to do with dreams and lucid dreaming and seeing people in dreams and projecting into dreams. Uh, it's all pretty available online, but there's there's a lot of resources out there about that. But there are uh, there are runic st- staffs that can be used for dream magic that I, I have been looking into a lot recently. So check out Icelandic magic if you are looking for a good way in for dream magic, because there's a lot of it, a lot of it there. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I know. We could do a whole probably another two hours on that. Yeah, I'm sure it would lead to Freddy Krueger somehow, too. Oh, I don't know. God. Well, then, then that's the whole conversation. <laughs> like, he's a tulpa, probably. And, like, yeah. That whole thing. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, well, let's do it. Let's start with another two hours. No, I'm just kidding. Um, all right. Man. I, I don't know. <laughs> something else in a couple hours, but, like, you know, let's go. This, Let's do it. The are marathon. Are we not creators of content? <laughs> that <laughs> is so true. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, okay. So um, Halloween. Halloween. I mean, the the uh, pumpkin in the room, I guess. Uh, while, you know, it's kind of, it's going to be a weird Halloween for a lot of, you know, adolescents and whatnot, not trick or treating. And um, a lot of traditions <laughs> are going to change. Just say yeah. it I'll, I'll just be honest. It's going <laughs> to fucking suck. But that doesn't mean that there's not other ways. And I'm sure as a, a witchcraft practitioner, there are certain things you do during this special time of the year seasonally. Um, yeah. What does Halloween mean to you as as a person who practices witchcraft do you have any special like rituals or traditions yeah so it's so this is one of those things that very much changed when i moved to new york right because again uh in the past it was um so a lot of people will say that samhain or halloween is like the witch's new year the way that Mm -hmm. i kind of look at it is that i don't think of it as the new year i just think of it as the end of the year like i think of it as the actual like death of the year and i don't see things kind of starting up again until like may I just think that mm-hmm. the the winter months belong to the dead. That is not that is not the time for the living. Like that's just time for other other beings kind of take over the world for those three months, and then uh, you know the living take it back over with Beltane. That's how I always kind of historically uh, understood it because that was what was happening in the land. Like the there's nothing is alive right now, right? Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, you have to kind of get used to that and like uh, have to work with that in a different way. Um, in New York, it's become much more about ancestry. It's not so much about the the harvest, the death of the year, uh, the embrace of kind of, you know, the kind of winter spirit. Um, it has become a little bit more focused on ancestor practices. Um, you know, uh, I do a daily practice, like I said, with my ancestors, where I leave like a glass of water for them. I kind of have made Halloween into more of a time where I do a bigger kind of honoring of my ancestors. Like I'll leave out bigger offerings. I will, uh, I'll say, you know, longer prayers, that kind of thing. Uh, that's what I, I do personally and how I kind of reckon with it of like a holiday for the dead. I think for people this year, uh, if they're, I mean, uh, death is very close to all of us now in a way that it has not been maybe in a very long time. Uh, the, you know, the red death has come upon the land 
And there's, uh, yeah, a lot of people this year have lost something. It doesn't necessarily have to be a loved one or somebody that you know, but we've all lost a job or money or time or a relationship or a dream or, or yeah, or a loved one. Like we've all lost something this year. So I would say, though it is not fun, maybe take some time this Halloween to embrace the dead a little bit and make some time to actually actively mourn the dead and mourn what you have lost this year because we've all lost something. So uh, yeah, I would say this Halloween, really make it about the dead because that's what this year has been about. And if there's no one to pray for the dead, they hang out and they linger and we don't want that. So make some time to say a little prayer for those things that have passed and get them to move along because we're entering into a new world and we want this old one kind of brushed out. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I I'm recalling um, there was a quote from the play, um, the history boys um, Mm -hmm. where I believe it was the professor at the time said the best way to forget something is to commemorate it. And I, I get that. It's like, yeah, it's a way of um, sort of symbolizing a person, but it's not that person. So you're not really remembering them um, as a person who had been a mortal at one point and now isn't. So I like that idea of taking the time to mourn and actually like work through that and remember someone. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I saw a photo you posted recently on your Instagram of a child and this yeah. photo was in an antique store and like was just cast away to be forgotten and then bought. But and that I was a person. Him. Yeah. yeah, you found him. So yeah. and that's what it's about. Like the, the person, you know, we've all if there's anything we all have in common, it's we're all going to die. So, yeah. I mean, that you let's know, look at it that way. Yeah. You know, the thing I love about Halloween is, you know, you look at other holidays and you look at other times of the year and not only are they, the emphasis is very much on be happy, goddammit, like, it's Christmas time, why aren't you happy? Um, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, not only is it very, like, toxically happy, but um, there's a modernization that I think has happened with a lot of holidays. Like, it's very easy to bring uh, other, you know, tradi- other holidays and other traditions into the modern world. You look at a Halloween, it's like, we're carving gourds, and we're putting out pump, we're putting out skeletons, and there are witches, and there are crows, and there are vampires and it's all these like legends and demons it's like all of the all of the things from the past suddenly come back in this very real way and to me that's like what makes it so special right is it's all the all the spooky creepy dark eerie stuff has its day right where it's like no 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 we're here all the time but this is our time like this is our time to shine like you're gonna be dead one day you're gonna you're gonna be in this one day uh, life is not all happy. It is filled with monsters. There are monsters all around us. And this is like the day to celebrate that. And I think that there's like, I don't know. I, I, I hope in this time of COVID, we can maybe look around at these symbols of Halloween, the um, where Halloween comes from, maybe embrace some of that traditional sort of looking at the holiday of like, yeah, this is a fucking holiday of death. And we just went through a fucking pandemic and we're still in it. Like, there it's it's a it is a holiday about monsters and my god are there monsters out there right now like there's something i think um that halloween teaches us to embrace about all of this and reckon with that i think could be really powerful to tap into for people this year yeah that's awesome yeah just yeah embrace it yeah, yeah. do the uh do the skeleton dance come on um do the spooky uh, 
selfishness. You're the sexiest. <laughs> it's that. It's our time. Like if you're looking yeah. at your weirdo, and this is our time. Get it going on. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um. Awesome, Sarah. Well, hey, we can't let you go without talking about where people can get the book and um and I guess kind of yeah wrapping up with both the book and your work what's like the one thing you want to get across to people when it comes to um looking into witchcraft uh, if they want to get involved mm-hmm. um whether it's through witchcraft or activism or both um what's the one thing you want people to really take away from what you're trying to put out in the world Hmm. I think, uh, hmm, that's a good question. Wow. Um, I think that for witchcraft and magic and those types of things, um, don't, don't listen to the gatekeepers. You can do this. Like, don't feel like you have to buy a bunch of stuff or you have to take a thousand classes or you have to follow a guru, like read, go and read the books that you would need to read. I'd say, um, if you can't get your hands, if you're like maybe young and have to have your parents buy books for you, or if you're like, I don't know, if, if you don't have access to a bunch of like witchcraft books or you don't know what to, where to start with those, go read a book on folklore, go read a book on mythology. All the real shit is going to be there and you can, and you can branch out from there. Uh, read books on herbalism, on, on geography. Like th- that's, that's just as witchy as any actual witchcraft book that is out there. Um, mm. So, you know, Go, go out and find that stuff and and just let it like find something that you like and that are pa- and passionate about and let that guide you on the path and just and just go from there. I think when it comes to politics, I mean, I would say the same thing about politics that I would about magic, that you actually have incredible power. Like we have incredible power. Uh, the world can be very different. It is very po- like we do not have to settle for the world the way that it is through magic, through politics, through both of these things. We truly can change the world and we truly can demand the world that we deserve. And I think that we all have to become a lot more comfortable demanding that the world that we exist in meet the expectations that we have for it inside of ourselves and making that a reality. So, um, yeah, go fuck shit up with magic, kids. You crazy (laughs) kids. Yeah, crazy kids. Get off my lawn. (laughs) I love it. Um, Well, okay. so the book really, really hit me keenly sarah i have to admit like i knew nothing about it going in and now i feel like so much was demystified for me in terms of um what this plays in the grand scheme of things so um i have to thank you for the book where can we find the book and i'm not letting you go before talking about um the podcast that yeah. you you're starting so, back up so yeah go for it all my all my stuff so the book is revolutionary witchcraft a guide to magical activism you can buy it through the publisher running press you can buy it through Bookshop, uh, which will help support your local bookstores, IndieBound. Uh, you can buy it through, there's this very small company called Amazon that you may have heard of. You can buy it there. Uh, if you don't want to buy it on Amazon, just buy it somewhere else and leave me a review on Amazon because that really helps small authors. But um, yeah, you could, uh, 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 it's done really well in local bookstores. So check out your local bookstore and see if, see if it's there. Um, cause local bookstores are really hurting right now. So try to, try support to buy it through. So support your local bookstores. Uh, yeah. if you don't have a local bookstore in your area, buy it through bookshop and, and give the money to a local bookstore somewhere that you like, uh, for myself, you can find me on Instagram at city mystic on Twitter, um, at underscore Sarah underscore lions at or Lala Kuzuzu is my, like, it's, it's my Twitter name. Um, <laughs> I'm funny. Uh, and <laughs> what else? I am starting up my own podcast. Uh, it is called Pop Cult. It is Pop uh, C V L T. So the V, the, the U is a V. 
Um, it's my friend Owen and I, and we're just going to be talking about magic and paranormal stuff and culture and politics, but from a from a, a practitioner's perspective. So not just talking about magic as if it's like a thing on a shelf somewhere, but actually people who do it. And um, I'm really excited about that. So check out Pop Cult. And uh, in terms of other things, I am also going to be doing a fundraiser with uh, Sacramento DSA on October 30th, where we're going to be talking actually about UFOs and witches again. So if you've liked this, we're going to be talking about the Sacramento UFO flap of 1897. Uh, Yeah. So apparently there was a big uh, railroad strike that like changed California history. And all of these striking railroad workers saw a bunch of UFOs while they were uh, striking. And it was like a huge wow. thing and it was recorded in the local paper. And uh, yeah, so we're going to be talking about that. And I'm learning a lot about it. I had no idea this happened. So if you are if you want to learn more about Victorian UFO flaps, uh, tune in for that on October 30th with Sacramento DSA. Oh, that's awesome. I definitely yeah. want to see that. Yeah. yeah. I'm not familiar with that one. That's pretty cool. I feel like I've failed as a ufologist. But, uh... <laughs> I, That's yeah, so I, cool. Well, apparently it's very, I mean, this is a whole other thing, but apparently they saw, they, they saw them as zeppelins in the sky. They didn't see them as airships. Flying, yeah. They saw them as airships. Yeah. So mm-hmm. very fascinating. So if you want to learn more about uh, unidentified flying airships, then yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> UFAs, then, then yep. yeah. all you steampunk aficionados yes. as well. Yep. <laughs> um, I'm going to um, end here, Sarah, with a quote of yours that probably, um, kind of encapsulates everything we talked about. And that's, um, quote, the earth is under attack. As witches, we must speak the words the dying earth cannot. And I think that just, that says so much about what we've been through throughout history and where we are today. And I think um, with people like you fighting that fight and getting involved and actually putting action to words or spells or rituals um, is where it's at. And I think um, if people can take anything from this today, it's go do something. You know, we all talk, we all um, get trapped in these echo chambers, but like have the conversation, but then go do something about it. And I think our earth, literal earth needs that now more than ever. So I have to thank you for everything you've done and uh, for coming on here today and talking extensively about a topic that completely blows my mind and something I want to continue pursuing. So thank you so much for coming on Somewhere in the Skies. This was so awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. Happy Halloween, everyone. Yes, happy Halloween. And uh, this will not be the last time, I'm sure. So thank you. Yes, thank you so much. You got to pick up every stitch. Oh no, must be the season. Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.